Dotnet Rocks episode 868 with guests Lynn Langett and Llewellyn Falco. Recorded live Thursday, April 18th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Teller, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePAK.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Rick. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We are here with uh, Lynn Langett and Llewellyn Falco. But before we introduce them, hey, my friend, how are you? I'm well. I'm, you know, building new hardware out for my server closet. I've committed to another five years of running my own infrastructure. I did the ROI, and I'm like, yeah, I'll keep running it myself. I always knew you'd be committed. I'm committed to something, that's One for day. sure. Not <laughs> sure what it is. Very cool. I, uh, I'm here in the studio, and everything's good. I don't know. I don't have any small talk today. Let's just get into Better Know Framework. Do it. All right. What do you got? All right. So I'm going to bring up something that I learned from my friends, uh, Llewellyn Falco and Lynn Langett. Okay. This is called Kodu from Microsoft Research and tinyurl.com slash gokodu. That's G-O-K-O-D-U. Kodu is a sort of a game creation uh, environment that is great for teaching kids uh, the essence of programming, which is saying, you know, when something happens, do this. When this happens, do that. And you do it all within the context of building a world and then building a game, building characters that you put in there and you give them these sort of instructions and you just run it and you see what happens. Wow. It's really, really cool. Uh, And I see some of the characters, though. It's very cute, too. Oh, very cute. Big eyes and small mouths. So I got a story for you. Um, okay. Uh, after we talked about this, uh, I went and downloaded that, and my um, my, my then ten year old daughter uh, Clara was uh, at my house, and we were we were doing these things and making a game. And the game that we made, we made this little platform, and then we made this um, uh, sort of a flying saucer. And then we made the flying saucer on an interval, like on a timer, like a you know every five seconds drop a ball. And then we added a blue guy and a red guy, and we gave them you know different identities or whatever. And we said that when they see the ball, to move toward the ball, and then when they hit the ball, to eat the ball. Nice, right? And then when they eat the ball, score one for their side. And then you just run this thing, and a little flying saucer's going around, really kind of slow, boonk, boonk, you know, and it's dropping balls, and these guys spring into action, and they go towards it, and the one that gets there first eats it, and the other, and so, so Clara goes, hey, I wonder what would happen if we turned up the frequency of ball dropping. <laughs> so it's like you know a hundred a second. It's like and these guys are freaking out, and the counters are going. We sat there and laughed. Oh my god, that was the funniest thing. I even took a video of it and awesome. just to show it to my friends because it really was hilarious. Well, that's that's experimentation for you. Yeah, and actually, it, we we overloaded it. Like the thing just I don't know. 
too much memory or eventually ground to a halt. It eventually ground to a halt. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke comes out of the machine. <laughs> but it was really fun. So Kodu, it's a good way to uh to get kids interested without, you know, Visual Studio and without all the overhead and technical mumbo jumbo. It's just kind right. of fun. Just make it a little easier entry point. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 850. That's the one we did with Steve Smith about software craftsmanship. And we talked about his hilarious uh, craftsmanship calendar that I guess is now sponsored by Telerik, but he used to do it as Nimble Pros on his own. Right. Uh, and this particular comment is from Simon Taylor, who says, Hi, guys. It's not often I find myself disagreeing with the things you and your guests say on the show. Oh. But the comment, no pun intended, about not commenting your code, I strongly disagree with. Hmm. Commenting your code is another tool in our arsenal to make our code more maintainable by being easier to understand. Yes, comments can get out of date, but it is surely the job of a good developer to ensure that comments stay in line with the code as part of making a change, or failing that, picked up as part of a code review. If I recall correctly, September is all about naming things, and he's talking about the September page mm -hmm. and how hard it is to get it. It turns out naming's really hard. Yeah. If you applied the same argument to naming things, you could argue that there is no point in giving a method a descriptive name since it could change and the name could become out of date. Hmm. Consider a method called mean, which calculates the average of a list of integers. Wouldn't that be calculating the mean of a list of integers? But mm. okay, let's go there. Okay. Uh, which is later changed to calculate the mode or median instead. Some of the other principles, such as SRP and open close, mean that methods don't generally change so much that their names become out of date. But similarly, it means that comments are less likely to become out of date as well. Too mm. much commenting can get in the way of code and make it more difficult to understand. But knowing when and where to use comments is just part about being a good, experienced developer, just as knowing when to use design patterns and when to apply the solid principles is. Making sweeping statements like, don't comment your code, is dangerous, in my opinion. Other than that, great show as always. Probably right. Uh, Did only we a say Sith, that? Only a Sith speaks in absolutes. So, you know, he's <laughs> he's right about that. Um, we Hold used to on use... On, hold on, hold on, Easy. It's a joke. We uh, used to, uh, on the team, use comments as a means of communicating between the developers. What the hell is that? And then stuff like this. <laughs> All reason was suspended for the next hundred lines of code. Right. Or Or... What was I thinking here? Yes. Yeah. Will somebody please tell me what I was doing? You know, things like that. So we will actually talk about deleting comments for our kids. And what I hate more than anything is when you have a method called calculate average, and then you have a comment that's like calculates the average. Yeah, right. Thank you. That gives me no value. <laughs> I agree. And I, and I also buy into the idea that you clearly have to maintain them. But also, I think one of the things we were talking about during that show was the fact that our languages have evolved where the code's pretty self-descriptive these days. So rather than, you know, do you need to comment this? Do we have, yeah. is there any question about your intent when you're looking at it? But uh, I'm not going to back off on Simon. Yeah, if we actually said, and I don't buy that we did, but if we actually said, don't comment your code, that's not right. You should comment your code, but the comment should be meaningful. Yeah, be and smart. more importantly, meaningful to somebody other than you. Mm, indeed. Uh, and one way or the other, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, Simon. So thanks so much for your comment. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, you can write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via our mobile apps for iPhone, Android, and Windows phone. Mm -hmm. All comes back to the same comment place, and it'll land you a mug if we read it on the show. 
Yes. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of topics, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything and everything on the Microsoft stack, including our esteemed guests teaching kids programming. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, let me introduce our guest. Uh, Lynn Langett is the founder of Lynn Langett Consulting. There she has been designing and helping teams to implement big data solutions. These solutions have included SQL Server 2012, Hadoop, MongoDB, AWS, Windows Azure, and Google Cloud Technologies. In 2013, she was awarded the MVP for SQL Server from Microsoft. In 2012 and again in 2013, she was recognized by Google for her community education work around their commercial cloud and received the Google Developer Expert Award. She's the author of three books on SQL Server Business Intelligence, or OLAP, the most recent of which is Smart Business Intelligence with SQL Server 2008 by MS Press. Lynn is also the author of many articles on big data technologies and the co-founder of the nonprofit Teaching Kids Programming, teachingkidsprogramming.com. Llewellyn Falco is a technical instructor and contract programmer. He's the creator of the open source testing tool, Approval Tests. Over the years, Llewellyn has contracted with many companies, both to improve their existing technical agile practices and to help their developers get their legacy systems under control, releasing frequently and on the path to high maintainability. Llewellyn is an expert in unit testing, both teaching and working in all of these languages, C-sharp, VBnet, Java, Ruby, C++, C, VB6, PHP, and others. Llewellyn is also sought after as an international speaker on agile, TDD, legacy code, unit testing, and software patterns and craftsmanship. He has spoken at TechEd, DevTeach, OSCON, Agile 2012, and Better Software Conference. Llewellyn is also the department track lead for Agile 2012 and Agile 2013. He blogs at Llewellyn Falco with two L's twice, llewellynfalco.blogspot.com. And also is the co-founder of the U.S. nonprofit Teaching Kids Programming, which is part of the Mona Foundation. Through this volunteer work, Llewellyn has created an open source courseware library in multiple languages to introduce kids 10 and up to the wonders of computer programming. Welcome, guys. And just let me say, wow, some bios. We're glad to be back on the show. Are you guys qualified to be on this crazy show? Are we qualified to have you as our <laughs> guest? That's my question. That's what happens when you write the bios for each other. There ah. you go. Well, very good. So um, I took a look at your Pluralsight course today on teaching kids programming, and I was very impressed. And so was my daughter. We, we did some of the exercises together. So I guess we should ask, how old is your daughter? Uh, she's 11. And she did good with them. She did great. Uh, of course, it starts out with um, drawing a square with the turtle. If any of us remember Logo, that's the sort of the idea, except that it's all in Visual Studio 2012 and um, and just using C Sharp. So you uh, basically draw a square with the, with the turtle. And then um, I extended the example to draw a parallelogram. And of course, I didn't get the angles correct. So then she figured out the right angles and redid it. 
It's always good when your kids are correcting you. <laughs> Absolutely. And then she said, I know what we can do. We could turn this into a cube. So she grabs a pen and a piece of paper and she traces, you know, first I'll go here, then here, then here, then there, then there, then there. She's numbering the lines and stuff. That's and then awesome. she just sat down and did it. And and it rocked. You know, and of course there was the usual, you know, oh, I need quotes around the string for the color and uh oh I need a semicolon here or whatever. But uh for the most part she nailed it. Yeah, the listeners probably don't know, but this is not her doing it in something like Kodu or Scratch where it's dumbed down. This is her in Visual Studio. Like, she's using the same editor you do. Absolutely. She's pressing tab for statement completion and using IntelliSense and, and the whole nine yards. So it was a very pleasant experience for us both. Well, that's fantastic. Well, one of the reasons that we created this version of our courseware is so that working developers could do exactly what you did, sit down with their own kids in their own environment and work together and teach them how to program. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm very happy that, uh, you know, we can go from something like Kodu or Scratch to, okay, now let's, now let me show you what the big boys use kind of thing, you know? And it's not all yeah. that difficult. Yeah, we were, we were watching when Aaron was teaching his son, Aaron from Pluralsight, and, you know, he said, his son's like, is this what you use? And you could see Aaron's eyes just light up, and he's like, "Yeah, like this is this is what I do." Right. Um, you know, and it's great when you don't have to talk down to kids. And we have some of the best tooling out there in the industry, and really helps to helps to bring kids on and make them real developers. So, um, what do you guys do with this content? I mean, other than the plural site video, what uh, you know, how what, where have you gone with it? So give me some stories. We've been working together, creating this free and open source courseware to introduce children to programming for about three and a half, almost four years now. So like you said in the introduction, we have a nonprofit. Um, I used to work at Microsoft, some of the listeners may know, and my work in this originated with Microsoft's uh, DigiGirls. Um, and Llewellyn was volunteering, uh, teaching Java at a school. So we we worked together um, for this past three years, and we've put this courseware up on a site at teachingkidsprogramming.org, and it's in multiple languages. So that courseware is more for teachers and parents. The Pluralsight version is made specifically for working developers, um, and that's really the differentiation, and it's a subset of what's out there. We just We get a lot of questions when we go around the world volunteering teaching from developers, you know, what can I use? Because the courseware that we have in teaching kids programming is in Microsoft Small Basic, which is a kid's language. And then we ported it over to Java because that's what um, is used for the advanced placement in the US. Plus it works in both Mac and PC. But we did this special version just for Pluralsight to kind of see what the uptake would be. And frankly, we've been pretty happy and Pluralsight has asked us to make more courses. What I, you know, what's great about it is that it, you're, methodology is really a framework for taking anything that you want to teach kids and doing it and you know the things to avoid and the things to do um that it was so easy for you know once i had the sort of the the framework and the methodology down it was very easy for me to say okay uh you know here's a new exercise do do this and uh you know write out the comments and then they fill them in in the right order and uh, and then talking through it, you know, the the whole 
um, the whole methodology. And there isn't all, all, a whole bunch to getting started. Maybe you guys would like to just talk about that. Yeah, um, we specifically wanted to make it super easy. This is one of the things we found in going around the world teaching. You know, if people can't get set up, it's not going to happen. Because of the um, Visual Studio component, we made a NuGet package, which makes it super, super easy. People can just go open up a project and download the um, Teaching Kids Programming NuGet package. The other thing, of course, with Pluralsight being so generous to host our course, we created companion videos. So I don't know how much, uh, if you guys had a chance to look at the videos at all, but the idea is to help show programmers some of the things that we've learned teaching around the world. You know, the idea of doing the comments and translating them. The other thing that Pluralsight has done for us is they have said that the Teaching Kids Programming Courseware will always be free, which is really, really wonderful. That's amazing. Very cool. Yeah, we did not get into some of those videos, but... uh, you know, just going through your list of, of you know, things to do with the kids and your steps, um, which I think we should say what those are, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. So, so what we recommend is that you go to Pluralsight and you search on teaching kids programming and the course will come up. You don't have to have a subscription. It's completely free. And watch the course. Sit down with your kid. Plan on about an hour. It's really going to go better if you go through the whole thing at once. And we literally take you through, you know, like three minutes of what the course is. And then um, we show you how to get set up. We assume that the person sitting with the kid is a programmer and they have Visual Studio. So we show you literally create a project, you know, open it up, go and get the package from NuGet, open it up and go through it line by line. So we've created the video so that you can sit there and do it with your kid as kind of a teaching aid if you're interested in doing it that way. But what is the what is the methodology? That's what I'm getting at. The way that we do the courseware, we found that a lot of times kids' courseware was sort of give them a playground and just say, go play, right? And, and while that's great, it gets people in- interested, it misses a lot of the experience that we have learned as programmers and isn't transferring to the kids. So we start by, we write comments, and we write the steps out, and we teach the kids how to say, if I wanted to say in English, you know, tell the program to do X, like tell the tortoise to move, how do I, how do, I do that? And we, we start with regular English. So instead of tell the tortoise to move, we'll say move the tortoise, just like anyone would normally say. And then we show them how to transfer that over so they can say tortoise.move and pass in a parameter. And so the kids learn, if I can say it in English, I can turn it into code. That's a very powerful thing to see. So, and, and, and there are, this is literally a set of exercises. Now do this, now do this, that, that whole idea. So you get the recipe, but we do it not in normal order because we have a very strong, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I would, you know, get these games and I type the whole thing in and then they wouldn't compile and you're like, ah, what's going on? It was very frustrating. And, you know, fortunately I, I really loved programming as a kid. So, that got me through some of the hardship, but we don't want unnecessary hardship, right? Like there's enough thought provoking stuff in programming. You don't need to add complication. So what right. we do is, is we do one line of translation at a time. And that means like if you're in a for loop, we'll do the inside of a for loop. So draw a line and then put the for loop around it to do it four times. Right. So that each time you can see the thing. And we put actually a lot of work in numbering the recipes so you can 
do one at a time and run and see a result and see that you're doing it right. And the translation is really simple. Like, you know, you would say, uh, show the tortoise. That's the first line that anyone ever sees. It's a comment that says, show the tortoise. And then you basically say, well, what's the noun in the sentence? Well, that's tortoise. So in programming, we start with the noun. So you type tortoise and then you say, well, what's the verb? Well, it's show. So now instead of saying tortoise space show, instead of using a space, we use a period. So then you type the period and then you look for and you encourage the students to look for the word that closely resembles what the comment says. And sometimes it'll be verbatim. But, you know, it's great that you're just explaining this. And then, uh, you know, so so there's a couple like that. And then there's another one that says, um, set the color of the line that the tortoise draws to blue, right? And so you say tortoise dot. And then, of course, there's no nothing that says set the color of the line that the turtle draws, right? So you have to sort of think about it and you let them think about it. The focus on discovery rather than just sitting down and say, do this, do that, now do this, now do that. And of course it works, but the kids have no idea why, right? Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is really, really important to our courseware. We've, you know, gone all over the world. We've taught over 1,500 kids personally. We've studied other people teaching kids programming. And there's a couple things that make the way we do it different. First of all, we think the experience is much better if there's a teacher or somebody to sit with the kid. In fact, we've actually had people ask us to send them the solution files for our courseware. And we've said, uh, no, we're not going to do that because we want you to actually do the course with the kid. That's the that's part of the value. The second thing is we've seen a lot of courses where the teacher just puts the completed code on the board and it really becomes a typing class. Right. Um, so we modeled this very strongly in the videos. We, we purposely put pauses in the videos where we say, now pause the video and now you find it. Right. Because this is a, this is the behavior that we've, um, you know, evolved to. The other thing is Llewellyn and my background is an interesting combination in the way we, we write coursework. Llewellyn is, of course, an agile coach and he has a very sort of mathematical approach to programming. Mm. And I actually have a background in linguistics. So um, this design of the API is very deliberate in terms of at first it's a one for one translation. So one line is literally the same thing in code as it is in English. But then we slowly move away and we introduce getters and setters, for example, in the first lesson. Right. And, and that's that's really cool, too, because that's uh, instead of using properties, which you say uh, can really trip kids up in terms of just getting out of the gate and off the ground. Yeah, there's a subtlety that's in there that we wanted to sort of, and this, this is a concept called leveling, and it really comes from video games, right? Like when you play a video game, they just don't throw you in the hardest level. They have these sort of beginner levels that as you're playing the game, you're learning stuff, and it gets increasingly harder, and we wanted to build that into the courseware, right? So we purposely make it so it levels, and each step is pushing you just a little bit farther. Is there, uh, speaking of games, is there any uh, gamification going on in any of your courseware? Well, we do have a quiz at the end, which will draw a reward shape as they do it, right? So again, I'm a big uh, tester, so I wanted code where I can say, do this, and it self-evaluates. And then we have a whole stage called homework. And we should say, we have sort of five different stages for each lesson. Let's get into that. 
So first, uh, let's get you into the code. So we'll give you a recipe. Let's get you typing right off the bat. Like three minutes in, you should be running your first C-sharp program. Then after you can follow the leader, we're going to stop and we're going to do traditional lecture and listen. Because now you've got a little bit of skin in the game and we can expand some of the concepts, show you how to use IntelliSense better. I mean, IntelliSense is an amazing thing. Mm. So we really want to show them how to explore good, show them what, you know, hey, there's these colors. Maybe you didn't didn't realize it. So there's just so much stuff going on. So we level a little extra there. Then we go into variations where this is essentially hacking, right? And it's one of the things I loved when I was a kid is, okay, well, now I have a program, but can I tweak it a little bit? Yeah, let's and, I mean, crank you, up the timer to drop 100 balls a second. And a thousand. Kids love a thousand. They love putting things in really big numbers. <laughs> a million balls. Right. Exactly. What could happen? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a very short little quiz that is not designed to find out what they don't know, but is designed to show them what they've just learned. Because they've just learned a lot of stuff, but they won't realize it until they get tested. And so the test is there so they realize, hey... I couldn't have done this an hour ago when I sat down with dad. Now I can sit down and I can do this. And you really need to show them what's occurring. Let's just quickly uh, just get into that a little bit. Now, the, the quiz is in the form of, of tests that you have to complete. Is that right? So, exactly. so it's a method that says what it should return and you have to return it. Uh, or, or what it should do. What it should do. Right? Yeah. yeah, what it should do, not return. Yeah. Well, so the return, the concept of a method returning that comes later in the right. courseware. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it grades you and it draws a little shape based on the little things that you do, which again, we, we level learning, but we also give the kids some experiences that they're not going to understand. Yeah. Right. Like, but later when they're ready, it's not going to be brand new to them. Yeah. You know, so. So, so a couple other things about the quiz. Um, we find it just odd that for kids and adults, most of the quizzes to understand if people have actually learned how to program are on paper. <laughs> right. <laughs> or wow. They're, or they're, yeah. I mean, if you look, think about it. Think, you know, the certification classes and stuff like that. So we have one of the few, you know, quizzes that, that you ha actually have to program to see if you can program. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? It is. It's kind of odd, right? So the other thing about it, like Llewellyn was saying, the reward shape, the, the parameter values where you're translating are actually building a reward shape. So um, it the quizzes are to help the kids to understand and, and appreciate what they've learned. Um, but they are also, uh, you know, reinforced learning. And so it's really interesting, because if we don't have a quiz for a lesson, the kids actually, you know, say, hey, we want our quiz, because when they get done, they keep they keep going. In other words, they pass it, but then they then they want to hack on it because they want the shape to maybe have a different color or sure. a different size yeah. or make be a thousand again. And so, you know, we have tests that kids want to take. So right. that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing, right? Isn't that cool? Do you ever yeah. get uh, emails and uh, feedback from kids with suggestions and things or, or, you know, look what I did or anything like oh, that? Oh, yeah. So we don't get it on the quiz and stuff, but what we'll get is they want to push it. Just like you said, your daughter wanted to make the cube. In fact, I think one of the most common things is the kid will want to draw their name. Ah. Right? Yeah. And th they'll spend hours figuring out, like, how do I draw my name? And that's fantastic. 
Yeah, we had one one kid. His name was Jonathan, and he spent like over eight hours. His mom said she couldn't tear him off the computer because he had to. He wanted to figure it out, and then he wanted to make it a different color and a different width, and da da da. And she's like, you know, you need to eat. And he's uh, like, no, no, look, look. <laughs> he's a programmer now. Slide the pizza <laughs> under the door. This this doesn't sound all that different from a video game obsession, really. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't we all go through this as kids learning to program in the early days of this? Oh, I certainly sort of. We went through it, but we usually didn't have someone to guide us. True. And that made it so that it really was like, you know, you you might look at yourself and say, like, you know, no matter what, I was going to be a programmer. And I think that no, I think that's the case. Like, we love this and, and we have strong passion for it. But we believe that that everyone doesn't have to be a programmer. But we believe everyone should be able to read and write code. We, we think of it like reading and writing, period, right? You don't have yeah. to be an author. Right. You need to be able to write. Right. We're moving into a digital age, and this is a literacy. And if you don't have it, you are not going to be a creator of technology. You're going to be a consumer. And it, that is a much lower place to be. And, you know, kids are great consumers of technology. Like, yep. you know, they know how to text. They know, they know how to get new technology and use it in ways that we don't even know how to use. But mm-hmm. There's a big difference between using technology and creating technology, and that's the thing that we really care about. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Awesome. But before we do that, uh, I can tell you about Telerik's Test Studio, which is an automated testing tool offering a codeless and productive way to test any application, Ajax, Silverlight, WPF, MVC, Ruby, or Java. Cool. Test Studio seamlessly integrates with Microsoft TFS to simplify the collaboration among QAs and developers. Also, Test Studio can interact with any other file-based source control system. Want to give it a try? Download a free 30-day trial at Telerik.com slash DNR testing and make sure you tell them thank you for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner? Well, the winner today is Michael A. Floyd. Congratulations, Michael. Congratulations, Michael. for you, sir. That's right. Uh, you get the Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, just about everything they do in one box. It's a $2,000 value. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away a DevCraft Complete Collection from Telerik, and every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. Last year, Rob Corbett got a custom-built PC, uh, which he's currently enjoying. Uh, didn't believe that we actually were going to give it to him. Thought it was spam, but thank God he contacted us. And uh, this year it could be you. So we like to ask our guests, Lynn and Llewellyn, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Oh, this is a good one. I think <laughs> I have to start with a 3D printer. Yes! Really yeah. Yes, we didn't even have to prompt them. Because <laughs> usually we're like, uh, you know, they have 3D printers now, right? They're like, yeah. yes, I want one of those. Also, I've been getting into mono, so I would love to get those those glasses from Google where you oh. you know they overlay what you see. There's fifteen hundred bucks, yeah. Google Glass. Wow, yeah. Are those available now? Yeah, um almost. They did another developer wave. Yeah, so I will be going to Google I.O. where I think I will be getting those glasses this year. Now so. that's the correct thing to do. 
Yeah. Take the $5,000, spend it on a ticket to Google (laughs) I.O., where you'll get the privilege to spend $1,500 to buy a pair of glasses. (laughs) In addition to that, I'm um, I'm interested in smart clothing, um, so clothing with sensors. I've been uh, shopping around to see uh, what what would be uh, fashionable and uh, interesting in terms of data collection. So, like Nike Fuel or Fitbit. Mm. Oh, I already have I already have that. I mean, That's literally so 2012. Yeah, Richard. come on, come on. I mean, I mean things like that have a, a, like a shirt with a heart monitor embedded in it, that kind of thing. Huh. And not just people, like I would love to get some of the whole automation stuff. Like I was listening to stuff on Drupal and, and being able to connect that to like temperature sensors around the house and like cameras and like I would love to have it so that like I can control more of my house. We, we got a Nest, which, you know, if you don't have, I'd also love to have that. But I, I want the ability not just to control the internal of the computer. I want, I want to get out of the computer as well and into the house. You know, when you said the, the shirt with the heart monitor into it, I, it it turns into a dilemma because I'm going to have a, a big Italian dinner with, you know, <laughs> and my shirt with a heart monitor and it is in the wash. And so now if I have a heart attack, nobody's going to tell me and I'm going to die. So, <laughs> so I can't get the cannoli and uh, therein lies the problem. Anyway, There's one more simple thing. If you get a laptop, I'd really like like more than one power cord. Like I really yes. like having a power cord at home and a power cord in my bag. And, yeah, that's automatic yeah. for me. When I order a new machine, I order two power supplies every time. Yeah, exactly. For the, put them where the places that you are. We do yeah. the same with phone chargers. We have them all over the house. So, yeah. so, and I want that that extension to connect. That when my body composition changes, automatically locks my smart refrigerator. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I have thought today. a lot about using connects <laughs> as occupancy sensors in my place. Yeah. yeah. Because because the, the ability to map a body frame means not only do I know if someone's in the room or not, I probably know who they are if they're a regular. And I probably can make a fairly good guess of what they're doing. How many people are in your house? Uh, a few. <laughs> But yeah. you know the you know the Connect is actually able to measure those proportions fairly well and say, well, th- that given proportion is probably this person. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe we don't have nearly as many people coming to our house, but I, I would be surprised if I couldn't have the Connect identify all of them. Yeah, I mean, it, the only question then is, do you have a space too big for the Connect to actually see it, and how many uh, connects do you want to mount? Here, here's a good Connect story. When I was a Microsoft employee, I was a Connect Alpha tester, uh, internal Microsoft group, and. Uh, they put an email out to the Microsoft employees who are on the, the first uh, testing group, and they said, mm. uh, please wear clothing. Yes, we, <laughs> yes. we've told that story many times. Was, yeah. yeah. So you well, actually got that email. It wasn't me. Are you sure? Yeah, but people, were, people forget you're in your home playing with your video game. Apparently, clothing is optional. Right. Of course. Who yeah. knew? That's why we work Jeez. from home. Well, it, plus it messes with the limb calculations too. <laughs> All right, say now that, the show that's has lost problem. the kids. <laughs> there we so go. So much for the kids show. <laughs> All right, how how do we recover from that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let me continue to talk about the coursework because we didn't cover one one aspect of it. Like Luan was saying, there are five parts. There's the, mm-hmm. the the recipe. There's the recap. There's the variation. The quiz, and then kind of a new part that we did include in the plural side offering is something called homework. 
And what this is, is an implementation of a, a thing called a Cohen, which is a class with a bunch of methods that have underscores for variables. And what you have to do is go through one by one and hack them and basically put in a string or a number and get them to pass. And then the important part is once you get them to pass, you look at the person you're doing it with and you say, now, what did I learn from this? So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of an, again, an experiential and interesting way to get people involved and lots of fun. This comes from adult learning, right? So I'm big into the craftsmanship movement as well. And we do a lot of stuff there. I uh, actually wrote an RX Cohen's with Bart to learn reactive framework. And you know, this is stuff that you can use as real adults. And we're taking the best that we find out there and we're bringing it to the kids. I um I I thought they were very cool. They they start out a little obvious, you know, like um blank equals 48. Uh yeah. you know, blank equals and then a string where you're just sort of repeating what you have, but uh but if you can, you know, if your kid can stomach that, then you know, they they get they get harder and harder. You know, yeah. it's really interesting. We use these at um user groups too. We have some link cones up on Codeplex and depending on that where the where people at the user group are at and some we've gone to some user groups that are for people just starting to program. We've actually had people cause you run it. It's unit tests basically. And uh, they've said, well, what I really learned not was about link or RX, but what I learned was how to run unit tests in .NET. Yeah. So, so again, it's interesting when you retrospect over each, e- each uh, Cohen, once you get it to pass what it is people learn, because we don't, we don't, you know, we're teaching both um, API along with habits and practices. So we're trying to build in from the beginning with the kids, this idea of kind of a test-driven environment where you have Mm. a little tiny bit of code and then you check it and make sure it works. Right. So Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package. So You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. You know, I'm pretty excited that you guys are using Visual Studio here, but Visual Studio is kind of an overwhelming tool. There's so much stuff. How do you distill that down or just keep it from burying people? Well, that's one of the reasons that it took us so long to actually go to Visual Studio, because we were worried about that. But what we realized is, you know, there are, there are people who are teaching kids, but there's just a whole world of developers out there who have kids. And so you're right, it's a much higher bar. But when you sit down with your daughter, you know, you have that experience, just make that bar disappear and get them straight to the code. Sure, you can, you know, hide the, the windows except for the code window, for example. Yeah. yeah. And you can kind show of- them some of the really tricky things, like how do you set a startup program? Things that would be maybe too hard if it was just a, a full classroom of kids. Hmm. Well, and at the same time, I, I'm thinking, like you just described that whole thing about writing unit tests in Studio. 
most people use only a small portion of studio. You've learned your way around the bits you need to do to do the things you want to do. And just the opportunity to explore the rest of studio is kind of interesting. Yeah, you'd be surprised how often we have adults that will pick up craftsmanship tips because we teach the kids keyboard shortcuts, for example. Right. And um, we focus really heavily on the IntelliSense. And we also wrote out documentation and examples for all of our API. Llewellyn jokes that the kid's API is the most complete one he's ever written in terms of documentation. <laughs> By far. <laughs> Well, one of the things we've really looked at is make sure there's an example for every method because examples are so powerful when you're learning. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's really a key part. I know um, Kathleen Dollar does uh, a conference talk just on what's in studio and people keep finding out there's more stuff in studio. We rarely exercise the breadth of this. I think walking your children through uh, uh, an experience in studio is really interesting. You're going to learn some things while you're at it, as well as sort of remind yourself how much cruff there is, stuff you don't need that's always around. Yeah. And it allows us to teach in a better way, too. I mean, so like creating a method is a complicated thing. And so when we teach method, and this comes in the houses one that follows Square, right. we, sh we write the code in inside of the main block, and then we select it and we refactor it to a method. And by refactoring into a method, we allow the kids to skip a lot of the syntax and the jargon and go right to the idea of, hey, instead of having this block of code in the method, I can call out to it. And that really allows us to teach a lot of things that would otherwise be very hard to teach. One of the things that I did is as soon as we got the, the cube done, uh, we took all the, the, the length, the width, and the height of the cube, those numbers that we had hard-coded in there, and turned them into ints. And, um, you know, just slow, you know, slowly crept toward the idea that those variables can change in one place. And then, you know, the whole the whole thing changes. You know, oh, you're going to have an awesome programmer for a daughter. Yeah, she she's eating it up. Yeah. You know, one of the reasons we actually did this is because um, I took a Coursera course, you know, that massively online stuff. Mm. Um intro to databases with my daughter because, you know, I work mostly in data technologies in the, you know, someone I'm not teaching kids. And when we were going through learning, you know, the, the set theory behind SQL languages and stuff, she's 14. And I'd say, yeah, no, when I was at work today, I fixed this join and I made the query run faster. And this is what your mom does. And Llewellyn and I were sitting around the table saying, you know, we should make something like this with our kids programming. Mm. So developers mm -hmm can sit around the table and talk to their kids. And that's really where this came from, this version of it. Because like I said, we have other versions that are designed for school teachers and they have, you know, different editors and, you know, more sort of like support and stuff. But this Pluralsight version is designed specifically so developers can sit down with their kids and say, this is what I do. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned Kathleen Dollar because, you know, she was out there with us with Julie Lehrman and Pinal Daviv and, uh, Billy Hollis at the Pluralsight author retreat. And we taught all of the Pluralsight authors how to do the kids wear and they were loving it. And, you know, we really want this to be joyful for kids, but also for their parents. Because, you know, we want you to sit there with your kid, do the whole lesson, see them pass the quiz. That's so important. And, and you're not going to sit there if you're not having fun. I mean, the fact that your kid obviously helps, but the more enjoyable it is, just the easier it is to really spend time with your kid in something that you already love. I mean, 
Mm. If you're listening to .NET Rocks, you obviously love programming. You care about it more than just a job. And it's great to share that with people you care about most. Agreed. It, it was pretty hilarious at the Pluralsight Author Summit. It became a competition because um, we pair programmed up all the authors. And then, you know, kudos to the Pluralsight support people. So the people that aren't even programmers, they jumped in. And uh, some of them did pretty well. Wow. <laughs> I won't name names, but there were some real smart people um, that work on the technical editing side of Pluralsight. Um, it was a lot of fun, though. And, uh, you know, more people came into the room because people were experimenting and kind of getting the spirit of the courseware. And uh, it was it was really a great time. That's so cool. Yeah, and really, Pluralsight is such an interesting organization, the way they do things. Beyond teaching your own kids, if someone gets really engaged in this as a software developer, you know, do you have recommendations for them working in their communities as well? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, like we care about our own kids first, but I mean, sure. you don't want to neglect the community, and and it's really important. So if you if you have a good time with this with your own kid, you know, it's about an hour to do the lesson. Sit down with them do that. If you're enjoying it, go and, you know, you can do it with like Cub Scouts or you can do it at your local school or any, any way. And a lot of times it's good if you work with existing structure, um, but it's so important and there's not nearly enough people teaching our kids to program. So yeah, um, and I think it's really a challenge for a lot of teachers that, that aren't programmer. I, I, I really think it's really challenging to teach programming if you're not a programmer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, and I don't, people, I don't people, know how to solve that one. And I've certainly made a practice myself of going into schools regularly to teach a lot of different things. Uh, although internet safety seems to be the overwhelming one, I can always pack a house to talk about internet safety. So, but. so what we've had good success with is partnering up programmers, or more realistically, groups of programmers, so like two or three. Yeah doing a one hour a week after school program. We have hmm. programs going kind of around the US and, and, and really around the world. And uh, we, you know, we have most of the courseware written in Java. We have like uh, about 20 hours worth of courseware. And we're kind of going to see how this C-sharp thing goes. We may keep on translating or, you know, Java and C-sharp are pretty close, but that's up on our site. And uh, that's all there, free, open source. You know, there's videos on how to do it. So um, that's kind of a next step if you want to go beyond like teaching a group of kids, maybe doing an hour a week. And it takes about half the year in school. Sure. Well, and, and there are and I don't think you want studio in the hands of anyone who isn't a programmer. Mm. Like just seems like too complex a tool. Either as a teacher or a student. When you go to schools, we'll use uh, either small basic, which is a much simplified editor or uh, Java, which will run on the Mac. Because uh, right. you have those limitations, but it's always unfortunate, right? And that's again why we really wanted to create it in Visual Studio, is because you know we work in Visual Studio day in and day out. That's the thing that we know the best and we're the most familiar in, and it's really great to be able to take that knowledge and share it. Yeah, I think the message is very compelling to have professional programmers coming into a school, showing and using their professional tools, and then you use them as well. What I think is great about that as a teacher is that if you have a student, you know, if your kid is obviously, you know, leaping ahead and has a question like about, you know, so what did you do when you did this? Or how would you solve that problem in the real world? You, can, you actually have the tools there to do it. And if they're ready to see it, go for it. Okay. So there's one other thing we should talk about. 
Um, in the Cohen part, in the homework part at the end, we every time that you solve one of the questions, we make the kids sort of tell us what they learn, mm. right? And this is interesting because more and more schools have been teaching to the test. And so kids know how to get the right answer, but they're missing a really important part of why that answer matters and what that answer can show them about the greater part of life. Yeah. And so they're just getting, how do I get the answers? And in fact, like when we were teaching in Molokai, we put the kids in a circle and one kid would do the one one of these little methods and then the whole group would rotate. But before I'd make them rotate, I'd say, tell me what you learned. And you could say anything. You could say, I learned that we need to fill in the blank or I learned how to run the test or I learned that when I run the test, it will tell me information, give me clues on how to fix the code. Or I learned that strings need quotes around them. Or maybe I learned that I can lose the method names. But the kids would stand there like sort of dumbfounded. Like hmm. nobody has ever asked me to just look inside myself and figure out what I just experienced. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I'd be really interested in collecting that feedback and seeing how they evolve in those answers over time too. Yes. I got to think their sophistication is going to increase over time in how they think about how they learn. Yeah. And not just to, with programming, but in school as well. You know, if you can give your kid that skill to, you know, after you've taken a test or you've, uh, you know, learned something for the day to sit down at the end of the day and say, what did I learn today? I mean, you know, this is something that we ask our kids when they come home from school. What did you learn today? And usually the answer is nothing. <laughs> or what'd you do? Nothing. Anything fun? No. Really? <laughs> you know, so they, <laughs> they're not used to looking in. And, you, yeah. you know, you sort of have to take a look and remember and reflect and, yeah, not used to it. And Lynn said that, you know, we really care about teaching habits. A lot of times you forget the details of what you learn, but the habits stick with you. And that's right. one of the reasons we do a lot of the different styles of teaching is to bring habits into the kids. Hmm. Stuff like using your tools, searching for answers, running your code to get feedback. Like these are habits that will stick with them all their lives. Yeah. It is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, my daughter now is 14. She's been doing this three, four years. And um, she actually, and so this is sort of a couple of things here. First, if you're, if you're really into it and your kids are into it, they can actually not only learn it, they can also help you teach it. She actually co-teaches the class with us at, at her school. Um, and in fact, she's been teaching her on her own because we've been traveling so much. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that a, a kid who's into it really can not only learn, but also teach. And it's been interesting to see as she moves from a student to a teacher and a creator of this stuff, how it's impacting some of her other subjects. You know, she's had an, much improvement in her understanding of math because it's the same sort of type of thinking. Um, and, it's also interesting to see uh, that when we go to user groups, she actually is interested now. <laughs> so, of course, that's not every kid. Hmm. but you know, And that's so important because, I mean, again, like we spend so much time with this stuff. And a lot of times it's time where we're actually isolated from our family. Like it's wonderful when you can start spending time together as a family. And, I mean, that's just really an amazing thing. Uh, Aaron from Pluralsight was saying – you know, he's been doing Pluralsight for a long time and his sons have watched little clips of the videos, but this is the first time they really sat down and went through the whole video and, and the first time that they really understood wow. what's happening. And I love when you can take something that used to separate the family and turn it into quality time together. That's, that's an amazing thing. 
So the Teaching Kids programming video is not just for a parent to watch by themselves, but it's for you to watch with your kids. So there's both instruction for you as teacher and and uh, things for the kid to do, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's just a great format. And uh, it, it's interesting because they're just as interested in seeing what you're learning as as you are teaching them. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Uh, Aaron Sconard's uh, son, Michael, actually, after they sat down and did it together, Michael was so excited that he invited his friends over and he shared the video with his friends and taught his friends how to program. That's wow, so cool. that's cool. I know, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> wow. And just think of the skills the, these kids are learning, you know, for their careers. It's just boggles the mind. We, we we really haven't talked all that much about the obvious, uh, well, maybe not so obvious, lack of of kids getting into computer science and programming and the, and the huge uh, the dearth of programmers. Yeah. And that's something that most people don't realize that actually every year, the number of students in computer science is decreasing. And that's crazy. It's, it's a, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And, and it's going down, not up. And, you know, that's a bigger problem to solve overall. But the first way to start is, you know, think globally, act locally. Well, there's nothing more local than sitting with your own kid. Well, what, what's what's really crazy about it is because the tools are getting so much better and easier that you have the the barrier to entry is so is low now, lower than it ever has been, and the demand for programmers as a really high paying job is high. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, well, where the big disconnect seems to be is that. You know, there's this disparity in pay. Basically, teachers, school teachers get paid, you know, substantially less than working programmers. So very few people who have programming skills work as school teachers. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's why we created Teaching Kids Programming to kind of bring the two worlds together. And the way we really see it happening through is through volunteering because, you know, Luan and I don't want to give up our day jobs, become teachers. No. We're, we're very happy, you know, but but we still want to help the next generation. So we're trying to create these tools and, you know, uh, uh, guides to help people who are programmers to, you know, kind of shore up what's happening in the schools. Well, it's working. Keep doing exciting it. exciting stuff. Very exciting. Guys, thank you so much. What's next for you? What, what to, are you just going to create more videos? Absolutely. We have about 14 on the list to create, and our goal is to make it to the very end of all those lessons that we can do and then create more. And it takes time to get them all together, but you should never stop learning, and, and we should never stop trying to help. Like, I, I can see a sort of a Pandora's box here. I mean, it, like, you, you're looking at a voracious appetite for this kind of stuff that can just explode. We hope so. Yeah. I hope so, too. For, uh, for everybody's sake. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you, Llewellyn Lynn. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, 
video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.